from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. While basketball remains in full swing, there's a hint of pigskin wafting through the air as the madness of National Signing Day wrapped up this week. So with a rare chance to talk football in the late stages of winter, today we'll have a recap of Jim McElwain's 2016 class with FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter. And last but certainly not least, we'll learn about Brandon Francis Ramirez's tough road to Gainesville and take a look back at the banner week for the Orange and Blue with FloridaGators.com's senior writer Chris Harry. But first, while the 2016 football season won't begin for nearly seven months, fans were feverishly checking Twitter and more on Wednesday, waiting to see which faxes came through the machine. Jim McElwain signed a big class that filled many needs, and Gator Vision's Kelly Price sat down with FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter to discuss the haul. When these guys got the job here in December of 2014, they really scrambled to put together that class last year. So this was a luxury to have that full recruiting cycle. They wanted to ID guys early, build those relationships, and really that's what you saw with those 12 early enrollees. Uh, That is the most in school history. It leads a nation. And those guys are already here. They're working out. They're uh, participating in conditioning. So they're going to be in spring practice. And that's a huge boost to your program when you have that many guys who can compete with your returning players. And then you throw in a quarterback there, uh, Austin Ippleby, who is transferred into the program. So that's 13 guys that are here right now competing with the players. And uh, it gives this team, this coaching staff, a pretty good feeling about moving forward through the spring and having a a different-looking roster. How big was Ippleby and the other quarterbacks? quarterbacks who came in early. How is that going to make things interesting in camp? Well, it's going to be probably one of your more in-depth quarterback battles in a while. I mean, Florida is known to have a quarterback battle in recent years, as we saw last year with Treon Harris and Will Greer. Totally different look this year. Treon Harris is back, but there's four other guys, including uh, Felipe Franks and uh, Kyle Trax, true freshman early enrollees, Austin Appleby, who we've mentioned, and, of course, Luke Del Rio, who was here last year, but he was ineligible to play after transferring. So that's four guys that they're going to take a deep look at. And, you know, Treon Harris is still here, so we'll see what plays out. But the competition battle at that uh, quarterback spot is going to be huge for this team in the spring. And, you know, people talk about, well, how's this team perhaps going to look different, you know, going into next year? Well, it's going to look different at quarterback in some way. So I, I look at that as a very important factor for this team in the offseason, having that many guys. Last year, we had true freshman Martez, Ivy, and C.C. Jefferson make a huge impact for the Gators. Who are going to be some of those guys who make a big impact early on? Well, I think one guy was probably the, the highlight of the day was when a receiver Tyreen Cleveland uh, announced that he was coming to Florida. Uh, he had a Houston commit. Oklahoma was after him. A lot of schools were after him. He's a difference maker, maybe with the best prospect they've had here in a while. So I look at him. They have three junior college uh, early enrollees already here, and all three of those guys were rated at the top of their position group in junior college, starting with running back Mark Thompson, kicker Eddie Pinero, and receiver Dre Massey. All three of those guys come in ready to play. So I would expect those three guys to matter. And when it comes to, you know, talking about difference makers maybe in their first year, Kelly, 
you look at defense, you know, you look at Chauncey Gardner, defensive back, a really uh, talented, a versatile guy. He's going to be given a chance to at least show himself. So they do have some players that they can probably rely on in their first year, as we saw last year with guys like Antonio Callaway. Uh, that's something that this program needs, quite frankly, and it looks like he's brought in another class that may uh, provide help in that area. In his signing day press conference, Jim McElwain kind of said that they got their numbers back on offensive line. How big was it for the Gators to pick up three offensive linemen this cycle? Uh, very big. I remember sitting here last year, we were talking maybe that they had six scholarship offensive linemen on the whole roster. And then the way that played out, you know, you had Martez Ivey, you had Tyler Jordan, David Sharp, some of these young guys really stepped in and uh, helped this team a lot last year. But they've added three more. Uh, we'll start with uh, Stone Forsyth. He's a guy who's already here in early and early. And today you had Jawan Taylor and uh, Brett Hedgie, who was the first guy in in this class as Tyler Jordan was last year. Those offensive linemen really like to get up early and get their letters here. Three guys for Mike Summers to kind of add into that mix. But they really built some depth there last year. They feel good about that talent there. And McElwain did say specifically that it was good to see those numbers get back. So I do look, I look at every year, you need to add some offensive linemen. And, and he's done that in his two cycles so far. You mentioned Tyree Cleveland, the wide receiver out of Houston that they picked up today. How big was that for the momentum of this class? I think it was big. I mean, it got the fans excited. It got the coaches excited. He can be that difference maker, as we talked about. You only come across those kind of guys ever so often, and he wants to be here. He grew up in Ford over in Jacksonville, but he moved out to Texas. He went to high school in Houston. So, you know, it seems like maybe he's off the radar a lot, but he's not really. He grew up a Florida fan. He's been to games here. But he's definitely a talent that you like to add into that mix, especially after they lost to Marcus Robinson to the NFL draft. You have Antonio Callaway, Brandon Powell returning, but Tyree Cleveland, uh, you know, he's a guy you like to add to that mix and see if he can uh, find the role and uh, be productive in his first season here. McElwain called recruiting a marathon. They were able to key in on some kind of underrated guys early on, get in there before some other people started chasing after them. How would you evaluate their player evaluations and how big it was for them to get in there early? I think that really when you look at what McElwain has done since he's been here and what he says publicly, I think that's kind of their modus operandi. That's how they're going to operate year in and year out. You kind of evaluate guys. They're already evaluating guys in 2017-2018 classes. You start building those relationships. So when National Signing Day arrives, it might not have as much drama as some schools have, but those coaches feel really good about the guys they already have and signed, and that's kind of what we saw today. There were a couple surprises, but for the most part, I think it played out today like like most people expected. They had those early enrollees, as you mentioned, and then the guys who signed today, they were pretty much committed, and other than Cleveland, who was a surprise. But uh, that's just the way that this staff, I think, is going to operate, and that's kind of uh, his personality. McElwain likes to kind of build relationships. That's what he brought these coaches in. They all were kind of prior connections, and that's just the way he likes to run a program, and it certainly has shown in recruiting so far. While most people see basketball as a fun pastime or strictly as entertainment, for others it represents a life-changing opportunity. Brandon Francis Ramirez falls squarely in the latter category, using the sport as a way to escape poverty in the Dominican Republic and pursue his dreams in America. After a rough start to his Gator career, he had a triumphant performance against West Virginia in a game that carried special significance. We asked the redshirt freshman what it meant to go off against the Mountaineers. It was really huge for me, and it meant way more because it was against West Virginia, a team that probably was one of the first three that offered me a scholarship. Uh, so as you know, 
um, Coach Huggins and Rex, uh, they really, really, really close friends. So it means a lot because Coach Huggins used to be uh, in my high school gym watching me and watching all the guys. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was a little bit weird seeing him in the other sideline coaching and me being in the floor and doing all that. I mean, he brought, like, a lot of memories back. And, you know, it was really emotional for me. You mentioned Rex. That's Rex Morgan, your high school coach. Talk about his impact on you. My first year at ACD, it was a rough year as well. Uh, I was getting used to the high school game. It was faster. I was getting used to the speed, used to the game. You know, DR basketball is, is good, but not as good as the U.S. basketball, obviously. So I was just trying to, like, find my way. That's when Rex Morgan really pushed me through everything. I mean, made me a better player, got me in great shape. I'm what I'm at because of him. You said West Virginia was one of the schools you strongly considered, then ultimately you came to Florida. Talk about the reasons that you did choose Florida and why this was the right decision for you. When I was back home, the first college game I watched was a game of Florida. It wasn't live either. Uh, you know, Al Horford's ankle, Kelly Horford, one of my mentors back home, he shows this tape about all playing. And, uh, you know, when I when I watched Coach Donovan and watched the Gators, um, some of my mind told me that, that I wanted to be a Gator. But back then, I was just was 12 years old. You know, shoes on my feet, watching the Gators play, watching Lee Humphrey make threes. And then, you know, when I'm in the court and I hit a three and I look to the stands, I see Lee Humphrey, a guy that I watched eight years ago, back when I was home. With zero opportunities, no shoes on my feet, probably with some old clothes on. And today I got a chance to, you know, see that guy watching me play. I mean, just, it's something that you can't even describe, you know what I'm saying? Some people don't know my story, but um, that's why we owe this about me um, missing shots and going through this funk. I'm fine with that because I know I have put the work in. And unfortunately, things hasn't going well for me, but I'm going through the same thing I went through my first year in high school. I mean, nobody knew me when I got here. I went through the same stuff. I just kept working hard, stayed believing in myself, and thank God I got this platform. I think the best yet to come. You mentioned Al Horford. How big a figure is he in basketball in the Dominican Republic? The greatest. I mean, he's the greatest basketball player ever. You know, I'm just so honored that I had a chance to meet him before I got to the States. He definitely has something to do about me coming to Florida because I watch him win championships. I watch him uh, being coached by Coach Billy. You know, he definitely got a big influence on me coming here because he showed me the road. You know, he shows a lot of kids the road. And uh, I'm just happy to have this opportunity to be able to play here in Florida. You talked about some of the shooting struggles you went through and, and times when people have doubted you this year. What kept you going through all of that? You talked about the hard work, but when your shot's not falling for months at a time, how do you stay engaged and keep going? The people around me, my family back home, and um, that I believe in myself. Uh, I know I'm way better than my numbers and my percentages. I don't have to say that, but I have to prove it. And that's what I'm looking forward to do, not just to prove it, but to help my team out. I came here to play basketball to play at a high level. And I know I'm not playing to my fullest potential. That's fine. Like I say, I'm still learning. I'm still a freshman. But I never take that as an excuse. And I never put my percentages on nobody else. I mean, like I say, I continue to stay in the gym after every practice, come to the gym and day off and shoot. Made 300 shots, 200 shots. And um, just trying to keep doing that because I know I was made for this stage, you know, and I just keep believing in myself. That's all I can do and keep working. Your story starts in the Dominican Republic, and then it goes to Jacksonville, and it ultimately ends up here. But talk about that first step, how you ended up from being in the Dominican Republic to playing basketball here in the States. You know, my dad went to Boston College. His name is Robert Francis. After he got out of college, he, uh, he went overseas, and it happens for him to go to the DR. You know, that's when he meet my mom and stuff like that. I met somebody 
named uh, Pedro Maldonado. He taught me everything I know about basketball, and I, I think if he wasn't for him, I probably would have been not a basketball player for sure because, you know, it was really rough for me back home growing up. Um, my mother had to work a couple jobs, you know. Uh, sometimes she didn't even have a job, so it was really hard for me. And, um, me, I got to thank that guy that he brought me in. And I know the family. His name is Cesar, and the woman names is uh, Xiomara. Uh, they kept me in, you know. They gave me clothes, food. They adopt me basically like a son, and they only live like two blocks from my house, so I used to be there all the time. I think for people like that, that's one of the reasons I'm here, because they helped me, you know, they helped me to buy my school stuff. I think if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here, but a lot of people I got to thank. Given all of that, what have been the biggest differences for you living here in the States as opposed to back home, and what have been the biggest challenges about that? One of the challenges is to get used to this life. The United States give you, but it also take from you. So you have to be strong enough to be able to be successful. You know, this is one of the greatest countries in the whole universe. So it's a lot of opportunities. And I mean, I just I just got to be able to take my opportunity to the fullest so I can help my family out because, you know, it's really, really, really rough back home. And, um, you know, my challenge is to keep on focus, um, going to school every day, keep working hard. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest challenges is not to get comfortable because I know I had it rough when I was a little kid. It was really bad. So now that I'm here, one of the greatest platform in the whole nation, which is University of Florida. So I just have to take advantage of it. Just trying to be the best I can be. We talked to John Igbunu a couple weeks ago, and he talked about the special bond the two of you had last year, both as new guys who had to sit out the year. Can you talk specifically about your relationship with him and how important that's been to you here? Oh, man, I'm Mason. Uh, going to be one of my best friends forever, one of my favorite people. Forget about basketball, just because who he is as a person, man. Great guy, great heart, great teammate, smart. Like I say, uh, one of my best friends. And we know we have to do this for our families back home. We know how bad it is, man. We know how bad it is to wash clothes and leave them hanging outside because you don't got no dryer. Even though yesterday we was talking about like how hard it is for us. And sometimes we don't even realize how blessed we are, man. Like if he wasn't here, I'd probably better be in the DR pumping gas. He probably would have been in Africa in the streets or doing anything, sitting in the corner. Like when we start talking to each other and start realizing how blessed we are, we say, man, forget about all that negativity stuff. We got a chance to come out here every day, get better, play in front of great fans. I mean, play at one of the highest levels in the United States. I mean, we blessed. That's all I can say. Now, on a little bit of a lighter note, a lot of guys say that you look just like Drake. I'm curious how often you get that. To be honest, I get that at least five times a day. <laughs> at least. I mean, especially when I go to a place that I haven't been in a couple of days. Like, let's say I go somewhere, they're going to be like, oh, you look just like Drake. And I always say the same line. It is a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> and they always be like, oh, it's a good thing. Trust me. But uh, I don't see it when I look at myself in the mirror. You know, I see myself. I don't know how to approach that. I mean, Drake is Drake. I'm myself. I bet he can beat me in basketball, though. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a fan of his or not really? My favorite. And I low-key don't be singing his songs. If y'all sing his songs in front of people, they're going to be like, oh, he trying to be just like Drake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I'm in my room and I got my headphones on, that's all I listen to. The great Dreezy. I mean... My favorite all time. When you say you go to new places and you get that all the time, have you ever gone somewhere, been mistaken for him, and then tried to use that to your advantage and trick people? I haven't, but they asked me if I'm related to him, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm his cousin. <laughs> but I'm just joking after that. I said, no, nah, I'm just kidding. And, uh, you know, all the girls love Drake. I don't think they love me, though, <laughs> but that's fine. I mean, he's fine with that. I just have fun with it. 
Final thing for you. The win over West Virginia was important in the sense that it was the first time Florida's beaten a top 10 team in over four years. What does that mean to the guys in the locker room, and how important is that as a confidence booster? Man, we more happy for the seniors, man, especially myself. Uh, I want to give a special shout-out to Dorian for always believing in me, always telling me, you're going to get hot one game. You're going to get hot one game. This is going to happen to you. Don't worry about it. He's just a freshman. You want to be one of the best guards in the country. He's just a matter of time. He keep me engaged, man. I mean, you know, we roommates. We always had long talks and stuff like that, and, you know, he'd be telling me about his friends my year, and um, I'm just more happy for him. You know, I'm just happy to be part of that, and um, I think it's a great, great win for Coach White. That's what he wants. I know he really want to be successful. You know, I, I'm happy for him, and uh, I just want to help this organization to get more wins and uh, to get this program back where it needs to be. The Gators have been considered a bubble team for the NCAA tournament for quite some time. But this week, they took their biggest step towards solidifying their status in the big dance with a dominant win over then ninth-ranked West Virginia and then holding serve against Arkansas. FloridaGators.com's senior writer Chris Harry believes it was undoubtedly the best week of the season for Mike White's squad. If you look at the aggregate of the two games, you know, rewind back to Saturday against West Virginia, clearly their best and most significant performance of the year, the signature win of the young Mike White era. The number 19 comes in here, a team that really takes it right at you. Known for its physicality, great defense, and the Gators were spectacular uh, offensively in the game to score 88 points, to shoot 60% from the uh, three-point arc, and to play really good defense against uh, a West Virginia team that's capable of doing some stuff. But uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, just the last seven, eight games, I mean, he's up around 20 points and 10 rebounds a game. He's become a double-double kind of machine. You know, he has a 22-9 and in the win over Arkansas. But I tell you what, Adam, the thing that just bangs you in the head is this astounding improvement from the free-throw line. Certainly it hadn't been without practice, but like I told you any number of times during these podcasts, they practice free throws all the time. Well, maybe now it's finally working when you you shoot a 24 for 31 uh, against West Virginia, then you turn around and you you come back and you shoot 30 of 36 in a four-point game against Arkansas at home, and including Kayvon Allen made two big ones with 5.6 seconds. He's become their best free throw shooter by far. He's over 80% for the season. But uh, those are some good gains, and to think that Florida was so good at three-point shooting against West Virginia the other day, and they weren't very good at all, 26%, 5-19, in a four-point game against Arkansas. You know, they're finding other ways to win, and they deserve credit for that. Finding bits and pieces off the bench, Johnny Boone, who doesn't start, they still managed to cobble together enough to hold off this Arkansas team. People certainly weren't expecting to see Johnny Bunu on the bench for roughly the first 15 minutes of the game, but he came off, and especially in the second half, really made a difference. Mike White talked about it in the in the post-game press conference. Guys practice better. That's why you saw Kavarius Hayes start. You saw Skylar Rimmer was the first center off the bench when Kavarius Hayes got his first foul. I think he was uh, making a, a statement to Johnny Bunu. Um, it's a statement he's made. I think he made earlier in the year, and he made it again. And you always look when something like this happens on like you said, how people respond. And Johnny Bunu had a couple points in the first half on a couple free throws, but you know he finishes the game with 14 points. He's 6 of 8 from the free throw line. He grabs four rebounds. He got the ball in the post and actually got it out a couple times, which is really hard for him. But Mike White's trying to develop a culture here. And that culture is, and he said it after practice, we're going to reward guys who play hard every day. And Johnny Boone had a day where he didn't play hard, obviously. He suffered the consequences for that, and he was able to move on from it and help this team win a game it really needed to win. 
he didn't play all that much against Arkansas, but against West Virginia, we saw a coming out party of sorts for Brandon Francis Ramirez. And we've talked about him a lot on these podcasts, especially early in the year when he was playing more and just couldn't get any footing. We saw on Saturday just a little flash of what he could do when he gets up to that level. Yeah, and everyone on the team was really happy for him because everyone feels bad for someone when they're going through a streak. But how many two of 32 droughts do you see in college basketball from guys like Brandon Francis Ramirez, who was a top 30 prospect. And, you know, you talk to him, you know, this is a very likable guy. And I give him credit for sticking with it. And the guy stays in the gym and he shoots. And I've told you before, I've seen him have some unbelievable days shooting the ball, whether in practice or just straight shooting drills, where I have video in my phone of him making 32 or 33 three-point shots during a shooting drill. But to see him have that kind of game against West Virginia, three out of three from the floor, after having that incredible run of bad luck, if you will, he only played six minutes in this Arkansas game. But I don't think that will impact him. I think he's happy that his team won. He'll still come out and do everything he do his practice, and I think that's a testament to him. And I think that's the kind of stuff that Mike White holds dear. That will get him more playing time as the season progresses. We talked earlier this year about the moment where Casey Hill went to Mike White and said, Chris needs to start. He's the guy right now who can help this team more than I can in the starting lineup. And we've seen kind of a steady ascension from him to this point now where he's starting to take over games and really get more control of this team. In the last two games, Adam, facing these pressing teams, he's had a lot of pressure on him, a lot of guys in his jersey. And I give credit to both Chris Chioza and Casey Hill for the way they've played against these uh, two full-court, you know, all-attacking teams. But I tell you what, you saw some stuff from Chioza, and his numbers weren't great. I mean, career-high 17 points and 8 assists, responsible for almost half the Gators' points in this game. Only 4 at 12 and 1 for 6 from the three-point line. But (laughs) he made a couple moves, and he has the ability to go get a shot. And Kayvon Allen is the guy who maybe you want to try to go get a shot. But a couple times, Chris Chioza had the ball in his hands at the end of the shot clock and hit a couple shots. And people who were watching on TV saw him not only go between his legs, but split two defenders at the end of a shot clock and throw a lob to Devin Robinson for a dunk uh, late in the game. That one's going to be on SportsCenter, I think, uh, a few more days this week. But Chris Chioza is playing at a really, really high level. Eight assists, only one turnover against pressure like Arkansas Razorbacks brought. Great game for that kid. We've seen some consistency out of this Gator basketball team now. And yet, here's the ultimate test in the SEC, going to Kentucky. It's not the same Kentucky team we've seen in years past, but there's still something about going into Rupp. Not a lot of teams come out of there with wins. Yeah, it's not the same Kentucky team, but it is the same Rupp Arena. It will be a hornet's nest, given uh, Kentucky's lost two games in a row. They lost at Kansas last week, and that certainly was going to have the fans in an uproar. And then you go to Tennessee and you blow a 21-point lead. And now the Gators are coming in. And so, no, this isn't the team of last year. That was number one basically throughout the season. But uh, they're going to be a very hungry team, very rabid fan base, as they always are. And this is it's going to be a difficult game for Florida because I think off the top of my head, Florida's won eight games in Rupp Arena. So quite a challenge for Florida. Again, they've won five of six. They put together two games in a row. They have not been great on the road this season. I believe it's two and five in straight road games. This will be the ultimate challenge for them. But I don't think they don't match up with Kentucky. It's just a matter of let's see if recent shooting, recent free throw shooting, decent defense, let's see if it travels. And that's going to do it for this week's show. For more information on the new signing class for football, make sure to head over to FloridaGators.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher to make sure you never miss an episode. Our next edition comes your way next Thursday and will include a preview of the opening weekend for the two-time defending national champion Gator softball team. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the O-Dome.